listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for your patience. I am Maria Kristich. I am chair of the International Relations Committee for ACB, and I'm delighted to welcome you to our conversation with uh, Ms. Martine Abel Williamson, the president of the World Blind Union. Very quickly before I turn this over to uh, members of my uh, committee to uh, facilitate this conversation, uh, first we are co-facilitating this event with Cheryl Cummings from the Multicultural Affairs Committee, who will also be uh, saying a couple of words of welcome. Uh, the International Relations Committee, we seek to empower um, the understanding and empowerment of uh, people who are blind or low vision around the world. We do that through presentations like this and our Voices Luncheon and community calls, uh, putting together Braille Forum, ACB Magazine issues about the international blindness experience and, um, and more. And that also includes um, assisting uh, those in emerging nations with blindness-related materials when we can. So to that end, actually, we have gotten a request from one of our partner groups in Ethiopia for some braille materials. So if any of you, once the convention is over, if you want to um, give your programs or any other braille materials away for some kids to have some practice reading braille and some inspiration of what um, blindness advocacy can look like, please go to the information desk to drop off those materials. It's very much appreciated. And you can learn more about us at acb.org slash commit that's plural and select international relations. So um, before I turn this over further, uh, let me turn it over to Cheryl Cummings first, um, chair of the Multicultural Affairs Committee for a couple of words. Cheryl. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. And I know you're wondering like, huh, what does the International Committee and the Multicultural Affairs Committee have to do with each other? And uh, why would MCAC sponsor a discussion around um, services uh, with, for, with an international speaker. And I just want to say this. I mean, you, we all know America is a highly diverse uh, society. And so it makes for us as, as part of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, it makes complete sense that we partner with the International Relations Committee to support and to bring this type of event to you. Because as I said before, America is a diverse society and to, to a lot of, you know, to basically in the United States, you can find all cultures in all backgrounds. And therefore, as I said, for us, in as much as this discussion is international, it is completely national because there aren't any, I suppose, sort of cultures or ethnic or racial groups that are outside of the United States that have not come into the United States. So we are always honored and privileged to be able to partner with the International Relations Committee to bring um, any type of discussion that talks about uh, provision of services for blind people, be they in the United States or outside of the United States, because for us, it all ultimately affects the individual and, um, and it also promotes the diversity that exists within the US and across the world. So thank you so much. We're very excited to be partnering. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Cheryl. And so without further ado, and first, uh, thank you very much to uh, Martine Abel Williamson for being here. Looking forward to learning more about your journey um, and your thoughts on the blindness experience around the world with the many initiatives that you're involved with. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Sandra Sermons and Pavia Shah from the International Relations Committee to guide our conversation. Uh, and Martine, where, is, where are you? Um, thank you, Maria. So I, um, good afternoon. Um, I'm Sandra Sermons, a past chair, media past chair of international relations, and we are going to go ahead and get this started. We are so very honored and privileged. We have quite often, um, our, yeah, quite often, um, we, we do have, um, well, 
such as it is, you know, presidents of the World Bond Union. So we're very honored and privileged. We're going to go ahead and jump right in. Martine, if you can please introduce yourself and tell us about your journey uh, with respect to disabilities, the blind community, and advocacy. Thank you, everybody. Um, it's wonderful um, to have been invited to speak to you. Um, I was born in Namibia, which used to be um, Southwest Africa. And I always say to people that um, when I was about six months old, I started to act like a teenager. In other words, I, my parents realized I, I was ignoring them. <laughs> and in the meantime, it meant that I couldn't see them. So they were wondering when I was about six months old, why would I sometimes um, focus and sometimes not? So I think that was a sign for them that, um, that they need to take me for um, examination. And that was when it was realized that, it was, that I was blind. Um, up to that point, the, the, the bedside manner of many physicians were very much sort of um, like, oh, well, you, your, your child's going to be blind and there's not much more to it. So, um, yeah, and, and I think nowadays things are being handled much better. Um, when I was about a year old, um, my family got told that there's only um, there's no main, mainstream schooling facilities in in Africa. Um, for me in Namibia, I'll need to go to South Africa to a, a, a school for the blind, and um, they accepted it. And um, I went to the school for the blind, so my family moved from Namibia to South Africa. So. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Part of my early history is that my family moved because of my blindness. And I always say to myself, I, I try not to let it define me because in the end, so many people migrate through various um, circumstances anyway. Um, I I remember as, I, um, as a four-year-old, and as a five-year-old, um, when people would ask me, what am I going to become? Because it's always so cute to ask a child what they're going to become. I would say I'm going to be a, become a vet because I love working with animals. And, um, and I suppose what I remember from those days is never, ever did my family tell me that, um, that, I, that I can't do it, that I won't be able to do it. I think my mum must have thought, oh, my word. <laughs> What, what, how am I going to um, draw out of this idea? And then fortunately, uh, about a couple of years later, um, one morning she was making, waking me up. I was back at, at, at holiday from the boarding school. So she was taking me to work with her for the two weeks. And, you know, so she would wake me up at six o'clock and to get ready to go to work with her. And I was like, it's holiday. Why do I have to wake up early? And she would go, well, um, you know, once, once when you, one day when you're a vet and the farmer is going to call you at 2 a.m. to come and help with a, um, a difficult delivery or something. And I think at that stage I said, I, I don't think I want to be a vet if I'm going to have to get up that early. Um, so fortunately, she got herself out of that. But then I said, but if, I, if I'm not going to become a vet, what am I going to become? And um, my next point was I'm going to become a lawyer because they talk a lot, you know. And on TV, they always talk a lot. And it's always great stuff on TV. And um, fortunately, I got myself out of that because I think um, that's so much reading. And I, I personally think it would have on TV, it just looks nicer than it is in person. I suppose why I tell the story about me wanting to be a vet is because I remember it so clearly because no one actually told me that you can't do it. And I meet so many people through my travels internationally that are told, you can't do this, you can't do this, you won't have this, you won't have this. And I think that um, maybe my, my journey 
although I had a single parent um, and we were actually quite poor, although I never realized it. Um, my family, my mum, always just tried to give the impression, which was probably a reality, that, that we're happy and, and that we've got enough and that I can do whatever. And maybe I'll just, if I've got any strange ideas or any of us, we'll grow, we'll grow out of it. And I think that's why I always um, lived up to my aspirations uh, before I thought, no, I can't do this, I can't do that. I meet so many people, even a month ago in New Zealand, when we had the Exco WBU meeting with representatives from all over the world, there were people there that, adult, adult people, blind people, no other disability, blind people, who were saying, oh, I've never done shopping on my own. I've never um, traveled on my own. I got told it's too dangerous. I got told that um, you, you can't handle money. People will steal off you. And I think, you know, there's a, so for me, there was always the point between my family just letting things happen. <laughs> and um, because let's face it, in the end, just as, just as we've got a right for an independent life, we have a right to make mistakes and to learn of those mistakes too. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's that's the first thing I want I wanted to talk to you about. And and the other thing is also, um, I many people would say to me then, oh, but you went to a blind school, you must have been so unhappy. And I like, actually was very happy. I mean, I didn't know better. And also, um, I was with peers of my own ilk, you know. So many of us had little or more sight than the other. We all carried Perkins Brailers around. When we did music, we all did Braille music. Um, so I'm not saying there shouldn't be special schools. All I'm saying is that I think that whether you came from a special school or whether nowadays you would come from a mainstream school, you actually have to decide at some stage in your life that, um, that this is as good as it's gonna get. And you're gonna be and you and that you're gonna be happy and you can't just look back saying it should have been different, you know. I, I you know, because it, it could always be better and it could always be different. So I, I always said to people, no, I had, a, I had a great time. I had um 13 years off with my peers. It might have been a bit staged, you know, being disabled uh, blind kids in the same school. But then again, afterwards I went straight on to university. Um uh ordinary, you know, mainstream university um, and got a guide dog and, and everything was, was, was fine. So I think that our messages is, is often, um, especially in today's time that people tell us you've got to write to everything and, and things can be better. Sometimes we actually just got to make the best of what we've got. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the um, Accessible Books Consortium, because everybody knows I'm president of the World Blind Union, and you can always ask me questions about that. But I'm also on the Accessible Books Consortium board, the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO. And next week, on the 12th of July, at 10 a.m., we're going to have the 10th anniversary celebration of the adoption of the Marrakesh Treaty. And um, maybe for some people um, who are very young may think that we always had books, but you know, I, I still remember um, as, a, as a student, my, my whole family used to just read bits of books so that I can be prepared or photocopy bits of books, you know, from my from the library and um, I think my whole family should have graduated with me, but they didn't. Um, my family was quite, my mum was like, why do you want to study psychology and criminology? That's all touchy-feely stuff. And although she was a single parent, she was a very uh, practical person. And I think she, she always thought, why do I want to study psychology and criminology? And, um, and she would, in the evenings, read stuff on cassette, on tape for me. 
and later on I thought oh wow you know it's was a huge sacrifice and now and nowadays you don't have to do that because of the Marrakesh Treaty um, most of those titles are available and so we can interloan them or copy them and we'll have them so I want to encourage people please on the 12th of July and I've sent the information through to um, Janet and, and, and Kim and yep and and say you know please tune in there's going to be a there's going to be a celebratory event because I think many people have have done a lot for us to have this treaty and it's not just for libraries to have books that we also at WIPO level have courses for publishers and authors of how to make books born accessible so um, to say to them, okay, it's, it's it's fine to publish a book, but if you actually publish a book accessible, um, you actually won't, it doesn't have to necessarily go through a blindness library to be on their catalog through the Global Book Service. It, it can just be, you could just advertise it. You know, we, you, you know when we look at, at big hypes like Harry Potter, uh, when they say, oh, at 12 a.m., this book will be announced and everybody... We used to say at the same time, at the same place, at the same cost. By when will we have the books at the same time, at the same place, at the same cost? Now, fortunately, because of many libraries, we can actually have it at no cost. But I look at recently, I suppose the book that, that was probably mostly promoted was Spare by Prince Harry. Um, and I must say that the moment it got promoted, the moment it got released, it was available. And so many people worked behind the scenes. So um, when people, when you read about the Marrakesh Treaty, know that we now need to still do much work because many countries have ratified, have acceded to the treaty, but they haven't done the domestic legislation to make sure that the books can, um, titles can be trans transcribed with the permission of, um, of authors and, and publishers. Um, then, uh, you know, so, so there's a number of things that, that, that we all can be involved in. We don't have to be involved with the World Blind Union. You can just be involved in your own um, area of life and how you, and how you promote things. Um, I, want to talk a little bit about um, my, my travels. People often say to me, oh, but it must be so nerve-wracking to travel. And I actually say to people, I often prefer traveling on my own because if you travel with someone, I'm not talking about the, the end destination when you're at a, you know, a place and, you, and you're in a hotel. I'm talking about when you're taking a flight. Um, mostly um, when the people realize you're on your own. They have to get you from point A to point B uh, because if they don't, um, you get stuck and you miss your flight. Now, there are situations when um, I try to say to them, I oh, need to go to a priority lounge. I've got a ticket. And they go, oh, uh, we're not taking you there. And um, I often, when it's a big airport, go in a, in a wheelchair um, because it's quicker. And I've been known to put my hand luggage on my wheelchair and say, well, if you're not going to take me to the priority lounge, then I'm just going to um, now walk with my cane and my and I'll put my luggage, hand luggage in my wheelchair and I'll just go. And if you're not going to tell me where to go, I'm sure someone will tell me when to turn left or right. So, um, and but of course now with Ira and Be My Eyes and everything, we don't always have to just rely on some staff person to say, I'll take you from point A to point B. So I want to say to people, use travel as a, as an adventure. Um, it's, yeah, it can be tiring, but really it, it's, it's also, <laughs> it's also an adventure. I've been asked to talk a little bit about what's in New Zealand. Um, now the States are so huge. So there's nothing probably that, that, that I can tell you about that you might not have heard of, but I'll tell you a little bit about the political blindness environment in New Zealand, uh, just so you're aware of it, and in case you've got any questions. Um, we don't have the ADA. We, we have uh, a Human Rights Commission, 
and people can take someone to the Human Rights Commission if they believe they've been discriminated against. It is a tedious process and it's not legislated. We're now in the process in New Zealand to, um, to legislate access legislation. In other words, legislation that is not about anti-discrimination, but enabling legislation. In other words, there will be a legislation or a law that talks about what you shall do and not what will happen to you if you don't do something. Now, I'm not sure um, there is um, Norwegian and Canadian examples of this access legislation. So it's we're on a learning curve because I think, you know, we always wonder how do you make things happen? Do you complain if it doesn't happen? Or do you say this shall happen? Or do you say this shall happen and this, these are the guidelines and not just guidelines, these are regulations. And if you don't adhere to them by a specific date, then uh, if you don't enforce it, there'll be punishment. So I think many of us on, are on this journey together. I know that you guys have got the ADA, but I also know that um, items such as web accessibility and artificial um, intelligence and new things, there may be some argument that some of that uh, may need additional interpretation because not all of it might be covered. Because let's face it, the moment something is in writing, it starts to become outdated because everything happens so fast. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a very interesting time we're in. Um, I want to just reiterate what I said this morning. I know people say to me, oh, it was great. Your, your, your prime minister locked you guys down in March 2020 um, to save many lives. And I, I must agree that um, uh, when COVID started, our prime minister did say, um, you will literally not go anywhere. You will do online shopping. And unless you need to take your dog for a walk or something. And it was very harsh. Many people would say to us, oh, wasn't that quite punishment being at your own home? I actually think it taught many of us with, with disabilities that um, it showed our resilience because we have to change how we do things anyway. So, And also, many of us now can have jobs if we don't have to have transport because we prove to the world that we don't have to turn up for an eight to five job. We can work remotely. And sometimes when transport is inaccessible, uh, that is a plus if we can actually work from home. So when I look back on the pandemic, I think we got forced to learn to do Zoom and Teams very quickly. Uh, society learned that everybody can work remotely, including disabled people. And finally, other things had to be escalated, like accessibility of online shopping. Because I tell you what, I remember the beginning of, of, of COVID. Um, my partner and I used to get up at midnight to do our, our online shopping because there were such big queues until they could, until the, the, the system could handle it. So, and I think that is, that is resilience, you know, and many people say to us, oh, you disabled people must struggle over COVID. I said, look, we always have to adjust how we do things, how you read, um, when there's a new FBOS, when there's a new uh, uh, banking machine, when there's new um, style of traffic light, when there's new computer programs, we always had to just change and we always the one left behind because it, it was usually not accessible to start with. So I think within COVID, most of us just go, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> we'll just have to deal, deal with this as well. So I, I look at it as I... Um, as something that that tastes our strengths and our resilience, and this is how we how we dealt with things. So, um, I don't want to talk too long because I, I, I'm rather interested in your questions or you sharing your own experiences. So, thanks again for inviting me. You know, when when Janet wrote me and 
in, in January 2020 saying, um, can you come and talk to us? I said, yeah, 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 you, you just say I'll be there. And then two months later, it was lockdown. And I thought, oh, well, that, that's an opportunity gone until the beginning of this year. So, And it's nothing like meeting in person. I mean, it's wonderful, wonderful meeting online. And most of my meetings are online anyway. I, I can't tell you how many meetings at night I just have to set the alarm for 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. because most of the meetings are um, um, in European or, or U.S. time. So I'm used to always having to be the one that, that gets up. So I'm not trivializing online, but I'm just saying thank you for, um, for bringing me across because it's been, it's just really great to actually meet up with people and, and she real experiences in real, in real time, person to person. So uh, thanks again. And um, if there's any questions or if people want to share anything, uh, let's go for that now. Actually, the only other question would be, um, tell us a little bit about the initiatives that the World Blind Union has planned within the next year. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so we've got various working groups and committees. Um, so for instance, we focus a lot on human rights instruments. So over the, every year we go into the UN and Geneva to work about the CRPD, the Convention on Rights of People with Disabilities. Um, it sometimes seems a bit, you know, you go to these conferences and you talk about the rights of disabled people and every year there's a different theme. And sometimes you go away and you think, oh, that was great, or, you know, you get a trip out of it and but you wonder what is what has happened. Advocacy is such a um, a slow burning process. Sometimes it takes years before you realize that you made a difference. So um, some of our work is a bit like that. I I had a, I had a teacher at school. Um, I remember I was about twelve, and I was not I was never very good at with um, with maths. And then to do maths at the end of the day was like extra difficult because you just want to finish for the day. And I remember being about 12 and um, a lovely teacher, actually. I don't know whether you could get away with what he said today, but he, he was explaining things to us and all of us sat and I think we just looked at him uh, blankly. And he turned around and he said, you know what? If I was a builder, Today, I would have built a wall, and now I could look back on it, and I could say, this is the wall I've built. Now I'm a teacher, and I look at you, and I see nothing. <laughs> and I think sometimes um, um, sometimes advocacy is a bit like that. Mind you, we knew him well enough and forgave him, but he was probably a bit fed up with how we didn't get what he was trying to say to us. But it's true. You know, many of us are in the, are in the situation of, we don't we can't look back every day on something that we literally achieved. We have to almost look back later on and say, oh yeah, that, that made a difference. That that did make a difference. Um, okay, so that is part of our human rights work, which which is a very slow burn. And then we do other work like with the um situation in, in Ukraine. We've um fundraised with a, a music concert and we now dispersing funds to um, people who are leaving the Ukraine, blind people, as well as those who are staying in the Ukraine, uh, trying to, to support them because of lack of resources. Most of our work is not meant to be humanitarian because that's why you have um, Red Cross and CBM, etc. But I think, you know, when people are in trouble and they reach out, it's very hard to say, oh, it's not our, our problem. You need to go to so-and-so. To so that's part of our work as well. Um, then we have work in the background to do with, say, um, access to the environment or technology. And that is where we have representatives that, that talk to companies like Google and um, Amazon and Apple when apps are being developed. 
when uh, vehicles are being developed, self-driving vehicles? How can we actually, because let's face it, there's going to come a time that a vehicle is going to turn up. There's not going to be a driver on it. Uh, we're going to get in. It's going to know that we want to go and drop our kids off at school and then go to work. And so somehow the machine and human interaction is going to be, uh, this is what I want to do, this is where I want to go, and I'm going to trust this vehicle. Um, you know, so we got very technical committees like that to make sure that um, when, when these things happen, that we're not left behind. Um, and the same with things like, and of course we know about silent vehicles, how, the, how there's a problem. It's great to have a green or sustainable vehicles, but it's hard to know if you can't even hear a, a, a car cross, a car traveling in front of you to cross the road. So we are working on um, things like the minimal um, noise or minimal sound standard so that at least we can hear it. It shouldn't make a noise, but at least we can hear when a vehicle is traveling. Um, so there's a lot of technical work that, that we are doing. And then, so, so a lot of our work is to do with um, committees like advocacy about, about youth, about women, about um, sport or recreation, about climate change, or as many people now call it climate justice. So we got mixture of advocacy groups, advocacy event um, efforts, as well as technical um, advice. And now that we can meet online, it's not just people who are the reps of their country that will travel. We will have workshops, and we have workshops about human rights, about technology, about access to the environment. We have those workshops online, which we advertise, and anybody can attend. So it's grassroots. Hopefully, we are more grassroots focused and not just set about, oh, these are the eight people from the US uh, because of their membership. But this is actually, we tell these eight people from the US, please distribute this because it's going to be a webinar and we want everybody to, to Lincoln. So uh, that's a little bit of a summary of what we're involved. But of course, you guys have got your um, your WB reps. And if you want us to do more in any particular area, you just let us know. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to turn this over to my co-facilitator, Javier, for the remainder. Thank you so much, Martin, for all of those insights. I'll just take a moment to reflect on all that we heard from you. I have a few follow-up questions on themes that you touched on, maybe linking even to my own personal experience as an international blind student, and then we'll open it up for audience question and answers. It was really fascinating to hear from you about your own transnational experience, Namibia, New Zealand, and now literally working with the entire rest of the world as the World Blind Union president from your childhood, your educational experiences, your thoughts on integrated education and special education, as well as your role in the Accessible Books Consortium and your views on the Marrakesh Treaty. It was really fascinating to hear from you about how you describe the World Blind Union as a grassroots focused organization that works with companies, that works on these broad range of issues from human rights to innovative technologies. And it really makes me think about the way in which the WBU's work is about interfacing between different stakeholders. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that from you. In particular, what sorts of entities does the WBU work with and how? like individuals, nonprofits and state agencies, companies, governments, and in what ways? So product testing, focus groups, policy writing, et cetera. So just to hear a little bit more about the specifics of the ways in which you advance the priorities that you have. Yes, because we all know we can't do things just on our own. So we have major relationships with agencies such as the World Health Organization and um, International Labor Organization. That's just two to name an example because 
they already work around employment and world health. So we influence them to make sure that blindness-related health matters, as well as blindness-related employment matters, get highlighted in their work. Also, um, we are a member of the International Disability Alliance. We are one of 14 members. International Disability Alliance is an entity made of 14 organizations to progress human rights, disability rights at high level. So we work with agencies such as World Federation of the Deaf, World Federation of the Deaf Blind, um, Inclusion International, Down Syndrome International, um, also agencies like uh, uh, regional agencies like Asia Pacific Disability Forum, Arab Pacific Disability Forum, Africa Pacific Africa Disability Forum. So it is true, you know, um, we, we, we need to work together. Often disability is seen as pan and you get funding for disability in general, not just for blindness. So there's points where we're going to pick our battles to say, where do we um, work with other agencies and which points do we want to drive ourselves? Marrakesh is a good example where the blindest community stood up and say, we're not the only print disabled community, but we are the we are the largest one and we need to push something through. And because of it, now others can benefit like um, other print disabled people, like people with dyslexia, people who have suffered a stroke and can't turn a page of a print a book, etc. So hopefully if we look at that, Everything we do will hopefully um, benefit other people. And then we also um, liaise with other organizations like CBM, um, which used to be called Christian Blind Mission, but they're not just doing Christian work and they're not just about blind people. I think they keep their brand because it's a major brand, but they do lots of work in disability across the world. We work a lot with um, agencies like the, the Ford Foundation. Um, so again, philanthropic agencies to do with funding. And you've got to decide, when we, when we apply for funding, we've got to decide, um, do our values link up? Is it um, like Vander Pharmaceutical is here? They're an amazing agency. They provide us money without boundaries. In other words, they don't say, you shall use this to promote employment opportunities. Because sometimes when people put a, a ring fence around funding, um, it's always the sexy stuff that get money. You know, it's like, um, oh, maybe youth and stuff. And that's great because I look yesterday when I listened to the scholarships and stuff. But I mean, if so it's easier to get money for some things, but not for others. So. It's also how do we look for um, where are the pots of money and relationships available and where do we have to do a, a little bit extra work where there's a bit more um, work to be done because no one funds, no one really funds older people health. No one really funds um, end of life care for, for you know, it, it, some of that stuff is like, oh dear, we rather not talk about it. So it's a great question. And yes, we work with many agencies because without without um, without collaborating, we just all struggle for the same cause, which is not which is not worth it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, maybe elaborating on that a bit further. How do you think individuals can stay up to date with what the World Blind Union is doing? Perhaps share their feedback, experiences, and suggestions to you. Attend some of the expos that you mentioned that the WBU organizes and participates in. And just generally contribute to the mission of the WBU. We're more um, active on social media now. So um, people, please let us know. Let us know via social media what we should do more and what we what people want to know more about. We also have a newsletter. It sounds a bit old fa old fashioned, but it's a it's an email newsletter. But again, it gives people an email address to write to to say, 
we need to have more information about something or we need you to pick up about something. And, you know, so, and you, and every country has got its, every organization has got its um, delegates. Contact these people, say to, um, say to people, um, your, your reps, we need to know about this. We need to know about, send us the information, whether it's via social media, whether it's, um, you know, in which in whichever way um so because it's true you know um we sometimes think uh, we put out something a message out there and you think oh well it, it should reach everybody and i don't know whether it does and of course now that you know me i um please email me directly text me directly whatsapp me directly um please be in touch we don't want to be a a top-down organization um, that is why most of us travel and we want to tell you guys to, to go to expos and to and to let us know what did you want us to do more so much for sharing all of that my final question before we turn it over to the lovely audience for questions and thoughts that they have is this is an exciting time that we are currently in it's the post-pandemic stage there are really tremendous advances in AI and technology that introduce both opportunities and challenges. And the world is more connected than it has ever been. What do you, as the WBU president, think is the biggest challenge that you are going to look at, as well as the biggest opportunities that you're excited for in this time? I think the challenge and the opportunity is the same thing. It's to so much information flow. On the one hand, I have people saying to me, they didn't know something is already happening. And I'm like, but we send out heaps of messages and newsletters about it. And on the other hand, people say to us, um, we're getting too much information. Um, uh, where, do, where do we, you know? Um, so I think it's, we need to try and, um think of how to get the information through how people want it where people will see it and how it can make a difference um and i think with artificial intelligence it'll become even more interesting because people will be able to say to their computer um describe something or where can i find something or as a blind person you know, and it's going to become more clever, which is actually great. I think we should not be scared of, of AI. I think we should uh, harness people amongst us to uh, be computer programmers and to um, influence those programs so that when we ask the questions, that we get sensible answers. So I think information and a very, very high level flow of information and how and how do we make sense of it as a challenge as well as an as well as an opportunity. Jean Marie, Martine, I wanted to tell you that in 2011, um, I'm totally blind and I went to South Africa <clears throat> for a month and and went there with Village Harmony and we did singing um, tribal music in various places, ultimately fundraising for them. And one of the places we went was a school for people with disabilities. And I do not know the name of it. And I do not know where it's located. I'm so sorry. Um, but I, I remember there was a, a kid there who had no legs and was laying on a board and pulled himself around on wheels and got around as fast as anybody else did. And what struck me and what changed my life on a permanent basis is the teacher stood up and said to these kids, and I never, ever heard this before, you are whole the way you are in the eyes of God. Do not feel like you have to change yourself in any way to be recognized as whole. And I was, I burst into tears on the stage. It was so powerful. And so this morning when you talked about, you know, you, you want people to know they're valued, I just thought, wow. That was a very powerful experience for me. Thank you for letting me share it. All right, go ahead, Melissa. Um, so I am Melissa Hudson, and I am coming to you from Burien, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle. 
I would love to know, because I know we're not allowed to give out contact information during these conventions, but um, how can we find out your contact so that, because I'd love to stay in touch with you because um, I just think you're just amazing and I would, I would love to get to know you better. So um, again, God bless you for being there and um, thank you for your, your uh, presentations this morning and this afternoon. Thank you. Sure, sure. Look, um, the organization have my information and I can say openly now that please, um, please share it. Um, um, I definitely, definitely want individual people as well as organizations to be, uh, to be in touch with me. Um, so um, my email sure. and my phone number is really, uh, we'll get it out there. I'm sure that that uh, we can find it a way to say um, either as the outcome of this meeting or just when information is shared that my information will be shared and I'm going to remember people's names because I'm very good with that. Um, so I, I really want to stay in touch with people individually because I hate to uh, think that I just know from my own experience or from an organizational top-down experience what people want. I want to know what um, what people think and what individual people want because I think in the end that's what makes it makes a difference. So um, um, I'm not going to say my details now because otherwise I've got to spell it out. But it is I, I can assure you that I'll provide it to um, to this the organizers here, and it will be and it and it can go out to anybody. So one way okay. we could coordinate that is if we can have your contact details as the International Relations Committee and the Multicultural Affairs Committee, then reaching out to the chairs of both, Maria or Cheryl, would likely be a good way for participants to then be able to link up with you, if that's okay with you. I, I was thinking that it might be helpful for folks who, who don't know to kind of outline the regions of the WBU I represented. I was one of our two delegates from ACB for a number of years. And uh, Donna and I attended three of the quadrennial meetings, uh, one in Geneva, one in Bangkok, and the third one, uh, I forget where, in Florida. But perhaps you can kind of let folks know uh, about the the regions within the WBU and maybe some of their activities? Yes, yeah, sure. So there are six regions in the World Plant Union. There is Africa, uh, Europe, North America, Caribbean, Asia, Asia Pacific, and Latin America. Then there's organizations in each country that signed up to be a WBU member. So in the US, for instance, your reps here come from ACB, um, NFB, National Federation of the Blind. I think also from AFB and uh, San Francisco Lighthouse of the Blind and a number of organizations. So in the US, so, so in the um, North America Caribbean area, you will have um, reps here from within the US. So your own organization has got a direct line. Then you also got Canada. And in some of the Caribbean countries, um, uh, like Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago, and um, you know the, these more countries that are also in, 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 in individually signed up. And those reps can then attend our meetings but also it's your pipeline through to, to say what you want to happen. And also most of you do the hard work anyway. So for instance, this conference, uh, you know, we, we promote it to say to other people, listen to what ACB is doing and then learn from them. So, you know, it, so it's not as if to say, oh, um, World Blind Union has to take ownership of something. It's just telling other other agencies and countries that there's an NFB conference or an ACB conference or a whatever conference, please tune in and learn from one another. So it's really more like a connecting network rather than an overarching agency that knows everything. Jewel? 
Yes. Hi. Um, so I have two questions. The first one is really quick. Um, I'm curious if you know of resources for learning Braille codes no, of other languages. And then the other question would be, what can people do to help the World Blind Union help everybody? Okay, I didn't quite get the first question. I'm going to answer the second question first and then get to your first question. Um, you know, the World Blind Union is all of us. I'm just the figurehead. So when, when, so when we say, what can the World Blind Union do? Any of you can talk to each other. And whether you do it under the name of ACB or your local chapter or America or or, or whatever, you know, I think the main thing is as long as we're in touch with one another, um, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, as, long as, uh, as long as we hear that people are doing fine and learn about technology and learn about, um, you know, living independently and learn about coping with vision loss and learning about everything. So I think the, the best anybody individually can do is to please share your emotions and your time with other blind people. It's not always easy uh, because some of us, we, we get tired at the end of the day. I sometimes go home and I just sit in my house and I don't want to answer the phone. You answer the phone. And then he has to answer the phone. And um, and then I think later on, oh, okay, fine. I'll better answer the phone or, or email. So I think, you know, um, share your, your, if there's something that you can really give, it is your time to other people because we just don't know what journey they're on and what's happening in their lives. Now, if you could just repeat that first question, I think it, it had to. It was. Um, yes, I can repeat it. Um, so I was just asking if there were, if the World Blind Union knows about resources for learning Braille codes from other languages besides English. Um, it's been very hard oh, to find re resources. So, for so Martine, if you would like me to answer this, at yeah, least sure. I have a start for you. Yeah, sure. So, um, and Martine was so gracious earlier today to reference, this is Kim Charlson and my service as part of the World Blind Union Executive Board. Um, I am the chair of the World Braille Council, which is a working group of the WBU. Now, this is a recommendation to help you start your journey to explore other Braille codes, but there is a book called World Braille Usage, and World Braille Usage is available free. It can be downloaded in a PDF print or a BRF format from uh, one of the three publishing organizations. It was produced third edition in 2013 by the National Library Service, Library of Congress, the International Council on English Braille, and the Perkins School for the Blind. So there is a webpage on the Perkins website. It's perkins.org forward slash world braille usage. And if you go to that page, there are, I think it's five volumes. Um, that you can download as BRF files, or you can download the PDF. And if you really want to have a print copy, I have lots of them available and would be happy to share. So my email can be obtained from the ACB office. Um, you can send me an email and I'd be happy to send you a print copy as well. That's my starter point. And what the World Braille Usage does is have, I think it has 146 nations basic braille codes, what we would call grade one braille. So it's alphabet and key punctuation marks. It doesn't attempt to list every contraction under the sun for any specific language, but it covers the basic so that then you can follow up with that country perhaps. And with Marrakesh, there is more instructional material on different braille codes available. So that would be my recommendation. Have you um, just in observing from a macro level with all of your travels and just the blindness experiences around the world and what different organizations have been doing, are there any um, trends or solutions or just any, you know, kind of general observation that you have um, seen that you think, you know, we could learn lessons from here in 
U.S., if you will, or in, in, in North America? Like, is there anything that's been, you know, done internationally that um, that you isn't being done here that you think would be, you know, beneficial to be implemented here? So many people and countries do things the same and different. Like people always talk about ONSE, you know, in Spain, how they've got, you know, how all the lotteries go for uh, the blind. So they've got great um, social innovation initiatives. And many people have said to me, oh, just tell people to do what Spain does. And I'm like, you know, it's very hard because people are very different and the cultures are very different. And it's hard. I, I, I notice so many things being done differently, but with the same outcome. And I think the main thing is that we're looking for the same we're looking for the same outcome. Um, I, I would say that uh, over the pandemic, there's been more innovation around um, employment initiatives, what people can do from home. And, uh, you know, because there's now knowledge, you know, people pay for knowledge, not just for something we we make. And, and these various programs on how people are more clever or smart in selling their skills um, in an employment sense to, to not just say, oh, well, I'm good with technology and all my mates ask me how to um, solve their problems and then thinking, how do I um, actually promote that as a, as a earner? So People are doing things very differently in many countries. I just came from Tashkent, Uzbekistan. And I think, um, you know, if you look at a culture which is influenced by the USSR and yet Asia, and how they just get on with some things. And I think, oh, well, you know, sometimes people just have taxis. It's, it's informal taxis. Maybe in, in the States, there's more formal um, ride share and other opportunities. So it is very hard to, to look at different cultures and say, this is what others could do. People always say to me, oh, and the States should do this, and the people should do what they do in Canada. And um, so I, I want to say to people, um, yes, people are over the in the world do things differently, but it's usually towards the same outcome. And I think as long as we stay in touch with one another, because nowadays with WhatsApp groups and social media, you don't need a formal network to say to someone in Libya or Algeria, how do you do something? You actually, you just ask them. So um, I would just say to people, please stay in touch. People do things differently. And every now and then people say, oh, we, we want this model. And sometimes you can't transplant a model because it's quite um, because of the culture and because of uh, different economic things. But yeah, so people, please stay in touch with one another because there's solutions out there that we don't even, many of us don't even think about until we see someone with a new, with a new gadget or something. So yeah, that's, that's a bit of a evasive answer, but that is that is really what I'm going to say. No, thank you. I think that's a really important answer. Um, for just the world's like a global village, right? In some ways, um, and I think that's such an important point. You know that you can't just take one system and just you know pick it up and put it somewhere else, right? Those those cultural factors, as much as we have in common, there are just those whether it's like physical infrastructure barriers or you know cultural more on the soft power that those do uh, come into play certainly. So thank you for that. That's an important point. Nora. About the talk, let's say here in the United States, you know, we have a talking book library, and you know, people there have, like in Pakistan, for example, do they have like board or or book share and things like that? Uh, yes, thanks to um um well, well, the book share is probably the largest catalog and then it's the global book service through the Marrakesh so fortunately 
through the world, we're now having more, um, the global book service do share more um, of books. So the more countries sign up, the more we can share titles. And the most exciting thing is that if your country, if your library signed up to the supplementary agreement, not just the agreement, the supplementary agreement, you don't have to go through your library to find a title. You can actually go through the Global Book Service yourself because you'll have a PIN, you'll have a, a, a status that you are from a blindness agency. And many people find that very empowering. So fortunately, nowadays, in many countries, we do share more titles. There's, there's still much more to do. There's still much more for us to do. But because of the Marrakesh Treaty, uh, Bookshare, um, Amazon, and also through WIPO, we're trying to get more um, cheaper um, e-readers available, like um, handheld, you know, um, portable devices. That we that they are much that the books are being shared around the world. In the I'm going to mispronounce this, but I know in New Zealand the is it is it Maori? I think that your indigenous um the, the culture there with the language um what is the access situation like for uh you know literature in uh in that language in accessible format? I think it's quite good. It is Maori M A O R I. But um, look, just because I can say Maori doesn't mean everybody else have to say it. And there's a lot of um, political goodwill around more literature available in Maori and for it to be accessible in various formats. Um, there's braille codes around some of the symbols. And I think there's a company now that is working around a screen reader that will translate it better because at the moment let's face it with jaws it would just it would just talk in a, in a uk or american voice and there is now a um a company that that that's working around the indigenous uh enunciation of the language and i think that's great because hopefully that happens in other indigenous situations as well yeah the Discussion about accessible books, I just wanted to contextualize the importance of the sort of work that Martin has been talking about through my own personal background in that I come from India. I flew to the US only a couple years ago to begin my undergraduate program, before which I did my elementary school, middle school, high school, all of that back in India. And the situation of accessible material was quite non-existent. My mom had to go to a resource center for the blind to access a scanner and an OCR program. And she and I would together be scanning every book that I had page after page. This would be before we then learned Microsoft Word. My mom, who wasn't even super fluent in English, to painstakingly proofread everything ourselves and hope that within a couple months past the start of the school year, we would be able to get most of my books converted into an accessible electronic format so that I could be at par in the educational process. This continued on until the last couple years wherein we had much too advanced scientific and mathematical material, which I had to manually type entirely because the state of math and science OCR software at the time was quite primitive. All of this is just to share that the need for accessible material for what Benetech calls porn accessible, which is a theme that Martin touched on earlier, and that is something that the Accessible Books Consortium, as well as the World Blind Union is working on, is incredibly important for learners like me, so that we need to spend lesser time on making our study material accessible and more time on studying that study material itself. So I just wanted to thank Martin for all the work in that space and share a little bit about my experience. I've since worked for Benetech last summer as part of Bookshare, working on solutions to accelerate this process even more. But I continue to be a big fan of the advocacy work that goes around making things like the Marrakesh Treaty happen. Just wanted to share that. 
Thank, thank you, Bhavya, for that. Stories um, so certainly are, are powerful and um, resonate. So uh, thank you for providing that, that context and perspective. Our last hand is Jean Marie. Hello again. I'm really curious. When you say 10 o'clock a.m., which time zone are you talking about on July 12th? <laughs> I sent it in as a chat question, but. Oh, okay. Um, um, and we'll send this link through for the celebrations on the 12th, 10 a.m. in Geneva, Switzerland time. Oh, which okay. is, I think, 8 p.m. New Zealand time and. Uh, oh, what is that? Three, four, four, five, four a.m. Yes, New York time, but early. But I mean, it will be wow, be so it's one a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> oh, it's in reverse. <laughs> Welcome to my life. I'm usually yes, the one exactly. that needs to get up very early. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. There you go. You some perspective there too. That's right. Is it? Will it be? Um, I wonder if there is a recording, perhaps, if you register that you might receive a recording or if it might be posted on YouTube or some such. I would, on the yeah, with the World Blind Union's like uh, communication channel. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that um, it won't just be streamed, but it will be recorded. So yeah. uh, watch this space. Um, let's see, Martine, I guess before we close, is there anything that you wanted to add that you feel like we didn't cover? Oh no, I just it's just wonderful. I just love meeting people all the time and hearing from you what, what you need because in the end I just see myself as a facilitator and a messenger. So in the end, you are all the World Blind Union. So thank you for the opportunity. All right. Well, thank you very much again. This was uh I know I learned a lot. Can like can we all give a, a round of applause for Martine? <laughs> Yes, thank you so much. I know um, I learned a lot, and this is always just um, such a, a you know gr grounding, and it just gives me such um, perspective as to you know gratitude for what we do have here, and also uh, just a sense of what we need to learn as well, and that importance of you know dialogue and coming together, which I think is um, so important in the world today. So I'm and also one um, just one more last round of applause for Donna for being our impromptu mic runner. Absolutely. <laughs> she she even just took the initiative she just came in and was like i'm gonna run the mic so thanks donna and um thank you to uh as well to cheryl and to multicultural affairs committee for co-sponsoring with us thank you to bhavya and to sandra for being fabulous facilitators and asking great questions and sharing great personal perspectives you just heard my guide dog shake herself out there um and thank you she's right here yeah. and thank you um to uh Jeanette for hosting and I apologize I did not catch the name of our lovely streamer so thank you to you as well and uh thank you to our audiences both here in the room as well as uh on zoom for asking such great questions thank you to um all of you for joining uh us for our uh program with the international relations committee and I hope all of you have a wonderful rest of convention. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.